You know, a uh, pretty good line here from my buddy Tom Rose. Says Biden's aid package to Ukraine is peanuts compared to what he can't wait to give to Putin's allies in Iran. He wants to give $800 million, and he says, I'll believe it when I see it to the Ukrainians, versus 15 to $90 billion to help the Islamo-Nazis get nukes. That's a pretty damn good point, don't you think, Mr. Producer? We have with us Michael Waltz, who is a congressman from Florida, Green Beret vet, combat vet. How are you, sir? Doing great, Mark. Doing great. Um, you know, what, do you, what do you think of that line of from my... here with uh, Zelensky. Yeah, hold on one second. What do you think of sure. my, that line from my friend Tom Rose, who said, $800 million for Ukraine, but Biden wants to give 15 to $90 billion to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. There's something to that, isn't there? Well, yeah, and that's not even... I mean, that's not even counting what they would make in the oil revenue uh, once once the spigots get turned back on. And then you add on top of that, you know, the, the amount of business class seats that would be full coming from France and Germany to go do business within Iran. So you essentially will put the regime's coffers on steroids. Uh, the deal that they're anticipating would then lift the sanctions on IRGC. Uh, they're now flush with cash. Their proxies in Iran in Lebanon, in Syria, will be flush with cash. And, uh, and they're still racing towards a nuclear weapon. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it will be one of the most destabilizing deals, <laughs> if you even call it that. Uh, meanwhile, they'll be on a, on a weapons buying spree to Moscow with the cash that we will release. Uh, and, and the rest of the Middle East will be off to the races for their own nuke. The first mm-hmm. amongst them would be the Saudis getting the nuke. And you know where they'll get it, Mark? They'll get it from Pakistan uh, because the Saudis basically funded the Pakistani nuclear development back in the 90s. Uh, and, and Pakistan will hand it right over to them ready-made. So um, this, is, this is incredibly serious and in some ways I think even more serious than what's going on in Ukraine. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, it's crucially important to secure our southern border. I've been talking about this for 20 years when they had the mm-hmm. gang of eight and then the gang of 12 and the gang of this. You know, we we organized our audience and I against it. So I take a backseat to nobody on this issue. But then the false comparison, if we don't, if we're helping the Ukrainians secure their sovereignty, uh, then why don't we support securing our sovereignty? First of all, Congressman, I say, uh, excuse me, we support both. But secondly, illegal aliens coming across the border, including many who are criminals and so forth, is something that really does need to be stopped. And it's something that Joe Biden doesn't seem to give a damn about. But there is, at least in, in, from, a, from an analytical point of view, the difference between an army of another country. So if the Mexican army came across the border for the purpose of conquering the United States, that would be the analogy, No. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think you're absolutely right that we can do both. Uh, and I think you know many folks, you know, complaining or having concerns that say, well, we should be prioritizing our border before any other are absolutely right as well. Uh, and that China is well, how the, do we do the that? greatest existential let, let, let's, threat. Let, hold on now. You know, hold on. Let's, let's, they both can on. be true. Can we think this through? Sure. I don't disagree with you, but let's think this through. We should prioritize our border. 
Well, what should we do? We got Biden as president. He runs the bureaucracy. The Democrats run the Congress. We've been beating the drums about this for a year. And they ignore us. The courts ignore us. The borders are wide open. Okay. So I'm prioritizing it. And I'm talking about it. And we're organizing against it. And we need to throw these bums out. Got it. When it comes to Ukraine, it's as if, uh, well, if we don't do the former, we can't do the latter. Yeah, That's what I'm hearing right. people say. We've got to focus on the, on the domestic. How about we focus on both? That's right. Yeah, I, I, we're, 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 in vi- we're in violent agreement. Absolutely. Yeah, there we we can do both. We have to do both. Uh, and uh, at, at the end of the day, if we don't take a stand, help the Ukrainians take a stand, uh, that, will be, that will be a slippery slope, not only in Europe, uh, in the Middle East and, and in Asia. So that will cost this country uh, in terms of the global instability, in terms of the vacuum that communist China uh, and Putin will fill as we see that relationship grow. Uh, uh, and so you're absolutely right, Mark. We have to do both. And we can. Let me ask you this, Congressman. You have the combat background. Hmm. Xi is looking at this. I think the more Russia is bogged down in Ukraine with these heroic people who are fighting back They just need the proper arms. They need their MiGs. They need whatever they can get. Not our troops. Not our no-fly zone. Really, nobody's talking about that. There's a handful of people, but the vast majority of people aren't supporting that. But we are supporting giving them whatever they need in terms of armaments and so forth. We always seem to come short on that. I think Xi will look at this and maybe, maybe have second thoughts. And why aren't we now arming up the Taiwanese? I hear... Well, you know, it'll cause World War III if we do X, Y, Z with the Ukrainians now. Well, why don't we help the Taiwanese right now, knowing what the Chinese potentially have in mind? Yeah, that's absolutely right. On the, on the Ukraine side, you know what, Mark? Send them the damn mix. Send them the, the yes. S-300s. Send them everything we possibly can that they need and that they've been asking for. I was out there last year, and they were asking... Uh, for all of these systems that Biden is finally, reluctantly, passively getting around uh, to providing. On the Z issue, uh, I, see, I, I think Z sees an opportunity to literally put Putin in his pocket. Uh, you are seeing uh, banks in China begin to salivate at the buying opportunities in Russian, the Russian oil and gas sector, and particularly in the critical mineral sector, uh, to shore up the Chinese economy, to shore up their supply chains, and to get even more global dominance than they already have in some of those critical, critical sectors, lithium, cobalt, uh, manganese, all of the things that make our modern economy go. Uh, so I think the, the economically, the Chinese see a buying opportunity uh, and to make Putin a junior partner uh, to Z and to create dependency uh, from Russia on Z because it's going to be the only backdoor uh, that they have with this sanctions regime once it once it gets fully in place if Biden would truly uh, put it fully in place. Um, in terms of militarily, you're absolutely right. Uh, we just met with the Taiwanese ambassador uh, uh, just a few days ago. They need to have harpoon anti-ship missiles. They need to have sea mines. Uh, our National Guard is beginning to work with, the, with theirs so that they can have a defense in depth, an insurgency, and a resistance. Uh, they have to be able to buy time until we can come help. 
And Mark, you and I and others have to constantly remind the American people, why does Taiwan matter? If Taiwan goes, Xi then controls 50% of the global economy, 40% of global trade, access to South Korea, Japan, Australia, Malaysia. Uh, it, it will turn us into a continental power and we will no longer be a global leader. Uh, and the threat briefings are telling us that, that Z will be prepared militarily within the next five to eight years. But yet when I go over to the Pentagon, they're looking at 10, 20, 30-year timelines uh, to, to buy what we need, and they're dragging their feet on providing the Taiwanese what they need. It's, it's a huge, huge disconnect. Congressman, can we hold you over after the bottom of the hour here? Yes, sir. Absolutely. More, more questions for Congressman Waltz. We'll be right back. Michael Waltz is the congressman from Florida's 6th Congressional District. By the way, what towns are in that district? Oh, Daytona, home of NASCAR. Uh, Uh I live in uh, St. Augustine, which is the oldest city in America, uh, by the way, uh, continuous city. Uh, And um, it's it's in northeast Florida. We we touch Cape Canaveral and then then up the coast to Jacksonville. It was Ron DeSantis' district uh, in Congress. When he ran for governor, I ran for his seat. You know, I'm a citizen of Florida now. Amazing. Many great Americans, a thousand a day are coming. A thousand a day. Peninsula, a peninsula of freedom. So all, all are welcome. Now, who is the congressman south of you? A uh, gentleman by the name of, uh, of, of Bill Posey, who represents Cape Canaveral proper. And then uh, south of that would be uh, Brian Mass, combat veteran. That's my congressman, uh, Double Brian amputee. Mass. Oh, he's, he's a good a, man. He's a great man. He's yeah. literally given given half of himself for this country and also uh, served over in the IDF. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. But you are too, Congressman. I mean, you have quite a, a combat record in your service, and you're still at it. Um, I want to continue here. Tell the American people, I've discussed this at some length, but you tell the American people from your perspective why Ukraine does relate to our national security interests. Yeah, well, you know, this morning, uh, Mark, I felt like members of Congress this morning when Zelensky was reminding us of who we are, which you do in your book, American Marxist, in terms of reminding us of our values. And I felt like members of Congress must have felt in 1939 and 1940 when Winston Churchill was you know, practically begging the United States to step up uh, against the authoritarianism that was marching across Europe then. Uh, I have zero doubt in my mind that if Ukraine went the way it went in 2014 under Obama, uh, which is what I believe Putin assumed and the intelligence showed is what he assumed it would happen. It was easy in Crimea. It was easy and relatively easy in eastern Ukraine. And the world did nothing. Uh, That next would be the Baltics, portions of Poland, uh, Moldova. I mean, fully and truly recreating the old Soviet Union. That coupled with the true, uh, the true threat that the Chinese Communist Party in, uh, is to us is, um, is, is not a world that I want my kids growing up in, you know, a world where we have a country led by Democrat socialists or a world led by uh, Chinese communists. So uh, we have to take a stand now, and the Ukrainians are willing to do it, and they're doing it on their own. All they ask for are the weapons to fight Putin's army. 
Why is Iran a national security interest for us? <laughs> yeah, well, if Iran, uh, we've seen now the type of nuclear blackmail. Um, you know, the world is being reminded uh, that of the type of nuclear blackmail that a country with a nuclear umbrella can force uh, in terms of forcing its will, in terms of the actions that it's able to undertake, and how limited or constrained we are to deal with it. That's why we were able to go into Kuwait uh, in the 1990s and kick Saddam out, but we're not able, uh, should we choose to do so, necessarily to go into Ukraine because of that nuclear umbrella. Imagine that with Iran. Uh, and Not only imagine that with Iran, but we will have a full-blown nuclear arms race in the Middle East. The Saudis will not stand for it. The Emiratis, the Turks, and others will all want their nukes. Uh, and any type of nuclear exchange, even if it's limited uh, in, in the Middle East, uh, would, would, would be the end of the world. So this is why Iran has to be stopped, not to mention the fact that they, on a regular basis, Mark, threaten to wipe Israel off the face of the, uh, of the map. And I think if they're able to do so, uh, they absolutely will. I have found, not in every case, but a lot of cases, the sort of Putin wing of the Republican Party, I've been calling it from, for about a month, or the Putin wing of the Democrat Party, the Putinites in the media, that they feel the same way towards Iran in many ways. When Soleimani was taken out by Trump, they thought that yeah. was a provocation. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, are these people out of their minds? What are they talking about? How, how, do, you, how do you view this? Well, look, I mean, we've had an isolationist wing in the, in the party. I mentioned that, you know, 1939, 1940, we had it in 1992, Pat Buchanan. I mean, we still have it and we will have it. Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively easy and cheap soundbite to say, bring the troops home, focus on, you know, we, we need to be real, building roads here, not there. Uh, what it doesn't do is then say, okay, well, global terrorism still fully intends to hit us at home. I want to fight it abroad, not in our backyard. Uh, President, uh, Chairman Xi of, of China uh, wants to replace the United States as a global leader, uh, and he fully intends to do so and is on a march to do so. Everything from putting a man station on the moon to uh, their own satellite to uh, actually dominating global trade in East Asia and, and us having a mother may I from everything from our penicillin uh, to computer chips to the whims of the Chinese government. And then we already talked about uh, Putin's revanche, uh, revanchism and recreating the old Soviet Union. So these forces of evil uh, are still afoot, uh, still intend uh, to threaten our way of life and our values. Uh, and uh, if we do not continue to stick to a fully funded military that is capable of establishing deterrence, uh, that is capable of preventing wars, that is capable of defending our interests around the world. If the United States doesn't lead, then, then who will? And finally, Mark, to your point on Soleimani, let's just rewind the clock and look at what Iran was up to just in the months prior. They attacked global energy supplies in Saudi with a sophisticated drone and cruise missile attack. They were attacking international shipping. They attacked our embassy. They killed an American uh, on a base. And only then, finally, with a, with a limited precision strike that caused zero collateral damage, did President Trump take him out. And all of that nonsense 
and all of that instability stopped. Deterrence was restored. And final piece, same with Russia. More Russians died under President Trump's leadership than in any modern uh, uh, American presidency uh, when 300 Russian mercenaries dared to try to attack U.S. troops in Syria. Trump ordered them to be bombed. Putin saw American steel, and he, and he stopped. These authoritarian regimes are emboldened by weakness. They are deterred by strength. They will push until they feel American steel, until they're punched in the nose. Uh, and, and that mentality is what Biden has walked away from. And that's why we're seeing the world on fire. I think you're exactly right. Do you think your viewpoints are a minority or majority within the Republican House? Well, the, the Republicans in the House. Mark, I hope I didn't lose you there. Do you think your viewpoints are a majority or minority view in the Republican House? Do we lose them, Rich? I, I would like him to ask answer that question. Um, well, we'll see if we can get an answer to that. So, Michael, one, one uh, Congressman, one more question here, and that is, do you think your views, which are traditional Reaganite conservative views based on prudence, not ideology, when it comes to national security, do you think that's the majority view of Republicans in the House? I do. No, absolutely. Um, uh, it, it, it is absolutely the majority, uh, the, the, the belief in deterrence and peace through strength, uh, in American leadership, uh, in, in projecting uh, our values, is, is absolutely the prevailing view. We've got, we've got a couple of loud voices. Of course, the mainstream media wants to magnify them. Um, but but I'm, I'm absolutely confident. And you know what? A lot of the, you know, the Rand Pauls uh, and the isolations in our party have been awfully quiet uh, the, the last couple of weeks. Uh, it, it, because th- their view is, while it may brief well, it's simple, um, it doesn't actually hold up. And, Mark, it's going to get even worse as we see uh, global disruptions to our oil and gas supplies, as we see, uh, and as we see now wheat, the price of wheat, the price of commodities, yep. uh, all of that disruption and that chaos uh, that has been underpinned, that has been prevented uh, and the global stability that's been underpinned by American leadership and by the United States military for the last 70 years, uh, we see these forces trying to undo, and we have to push back uh, as hard as we can against it. All right. All right, folks. I want to thank you, Congressman. Congressman will be on the Sunday show this Sunday. Michael Waltz is a terrific a patriot, but more than that, he knows what he's talking about. That helps. Thank you, Congressman. Take care of yourself. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Talk All to you right. God, God bless. He will be on the program Sunday, and we will have a big-time special guest as well, which I can't mention, I think, until tomorrow night's show. That's what I'm told. But we do appreciate you watching uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin every Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't watch it live, obviously you can DVR the program. You can DVR it automatically every Sunday, can't you, Mr. Producer? You know how to do that. Yours is on every Sunday. It's like the podcast for this program. A lot of people prefer listening on a podcast. Fine. We give you many, many options here. And the way I conduct my interviews, I think, is unique these days. One guest, maybe two. That's it. 
and I ask a question, and we see what the answers are. Uh, and we try to pick guests who are really worth listening to, not just fill up time, not just go through the usual conga line. And I found uh, Congressman Waltz to be really uh, superb in that kind of a format. So we will be talking to him, but we will have as our first guest a, another very big-time special guest. Again, I will tell you at the time or tomorrow if I'm able to. We'll be right back. You've probably wondered, some of you in your lives, why wasn't the United States more active with the rise of the Third Reich and the rise of Tojo in fascist Italy? Why wasn't the United States more active when not only Little countries around Germany that most people never heard of before, but bigger countries were invaded, like Poland, and attacked like England. How could we allow this to happen? How could we allow this to happen? The Holocaust didn't begin when we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, it began earlier. How come we didn't do anything? How come we didn't do anything in 1932 when five or six million Ukrainians were slaughtered? Nothing. None of our business, not our national security interest. Yet it became our business. We were attacked, we were on defense, we had to rebuild our military. We had to claw our way through the Pacific Islands. We had to claw our way through Europe. We had to claw our way through Africa, North Africa, the Middle East, costing us tens of thousands of more lives of red-blooded American soldiers. Why don't we learn from these things? The idea that we should just be focusing on domestic issues or come up with fortune cookie slogans has cost us over the years tens of thousands of American lives and put us on defense. When World War II started, we were on defense. We weren't properly armed. We weren't psychologically ready. We swore that would never happen again. There are voices out there Voices with platforms. And I, by the way, I agree with an energetic debate. But are misleading you. Not because they mean to. But because they don't know of what they speak. They're sloganeers. Sloganeers. Now is not the time for sloganeers. Now is not the time... For ideology. Now is the time for prudence. Now is the time for rationality. Now is the time for 
looking at human experience in our recent history. It's not that old, you know, 80 years ago. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. We salute our truckers. And, of course, we salute our freedom fighter friends, the Ukrainians. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811. You're now hearing more and more people talking about the need to take out Vladimir Putin. About uh, nine or ten days ago when I first brought this up, it was considered controversial. It's not controversial. And somebody hopefully will rise up in Russia and take him out. He's a war criminal. They're committing horrific atrocities. They're killing people on bread lines now, executing them. They specifically targeted a theater on one of their coastal cities that were filled that was filled with hundreds of children. With signs outside in Russian that there are children here. And so they targeted it. So citizens are being murdered and being targeted, and they're trying to take down these cities. Um, You're also hearing more and more people, including Democrats, insisting that these MiGs should be provided to the Ukrainians. But then you have individuals who are saying, well, they already have MiGs, and they're only flying half of them. That would be Jack Reed on CNN today, senator from Rhode Island. Absolutely useless. What Reed doesn't understand is the MiGs need parts. You'd think this man would understand it, having served in the military. The MiGs need parts. And so while they have 50 MiGs, they're not going to all be flying. Some of them are going to be cannibalized so others can fly. That's the situation. It's like when people asked, how come the Iron Dome isn't in Ukraine? How come Israel didn't give it to put in Ukraine? or the Patriot Missile System in Ukraine. That's because these are cutting-edge technologies that we do not want the Russians to get their hands on, or it will make a, a significant um, problem for our own defenses. But, of course, there are things we can do and should do, and significantly we should do. And so the pressure needs to stay on for these MiGs. Now, you say they have javelins to attack the tanks, they have Stinger missiles, and they're going to get a lot more of them with this $800 million package. That said, ask anybody, any jet fighter out there, anybody who's flown a jet fighter during combat, why are jets needed? Because they can get from one place to the other very, very quickly. They can help back up a military action very, very quickly. Stingers, javelins, so forth, obviously they're, uh, they're shot from uh, infantry, they're shot from the ground, which is fine. But not having the jet power that they need limits their versatility, limits their flexibility, limits what they can do, such as the enormous damage they could have done to those tanks and armored personnel carriers on that 40-mile convoy. People wondering why, why it wasn't hit. That would have been a perfect opportunity, of course, to hit them. 
So Biden is not leading. And Zelensky gave a tremendous speech today, a virtual speech, if you will, to the United States Congress. Everybody there stood up and applauded and should have, gave him a standing ovation. He's a courageous man, as I've said for weeks now. He will be remembered for a thousand years. And those who have opposed him, whether in our country or other countries, they will be remembered for a thousand years too as propagandists, as the Tokyo Roses of their time, as I pointed out several weeks ago, and the politicians who are meek and weak, they will be remembered too, not by names, certainly not by a positive legacy, but they will be remembered as willing to tolerate inhumane genocidal behavior by one of the world's great monsters right now. People are speculating whether Putin will survive. But meanwhile, people are being slaughtered. People are being slaughtered. Now, people are asking about oil prices, and then we'll get into more. That the oil companies are profiteering. Ladies and gentlemen, I've heard this since I was a kid. Since the 1970s, when OPEC colluded in order to drive prices up. And the goal... And the purpose was to make America energy independent in our own country. So it wouldn't matter if OPEC colludes or anything else takes place outside our borders. And we had actually achieved that. Joe Biden destroyed it. Joe Biden destroyed it. The Democrats have always wanted to drive up the cost of fuel. They even wanted to drive up the cost of electricity under... Obama. Now they peddle electricity as if they think that just comes out of thin air. And they blame big oil. It's big oil that wants to drill. It's big oil that wants to transport. It's big oil that wants to refine. Now just think about how ludicrous this is. How ludicrous this is. They're not driving up the price of fuel. So when you say they're making all kinds of profits and so forth, let's say they are. Well, who's causing that? It's the government. It's the government. I heard one fellow on TV, a friend of mine, says so many years ago, you know, we were paying this for a barrel. Now we're paying this for a barrel again. And yet the oil companies are charging more for gasoline. The oil companies aren't charging more for gasoline. The government has interfered in the market system in a way we've never seen before. And the government is driving up the price of fuel. Oil companies, like consumers, are responding to it, are reacting to it. You want to bring down the price of fuel? Increase the supply. You want to increase the supply? Turn on the oil and natural gas spigots. It's really that simple. In this regard, it's not Putin. It's not big oil. It's big government. It's big government. They talk about these profits that are being made. 
Your government took from you trillions of dollars over the course of the last 13 months. Trillions. It took from your children and your grandchildren wealth that they have yet to even create. And they're going to be burdened with this. It took from you your salary increase. It took from you the value of your pension, the value of your savings. It took from you the value of the currency. The real robber barons are the American Marxists. They're the Democrats in Congress. They're the Democrats in the executive branch. And they're surrogates and mouthpieces in the media. They're the robber barons. They thought nothing of shutting down our small businesses. They thought nothing of people losing their jobs by the millions. With their preposterous, archaic response to this virus. They're the robber barons. The oil companies have no power whatsoever compared to big government. Any more than any other company does. Big government regulates our lands. Big government regulates our trucks. Big government regulates oil, natural gas, coal. Big government regulates all of it. And then when their conduct results in higher prices, they blame the very people they're regulating. Big meat. Big oil. But notice, it's never big trial lawyer or big teacher union or big whatever it is that's part of the Democrat Party base that funds its existence. It's never big government or big bureaucracy or big regulations or big taxes. Never. The price of fuel wasn't going up under Trump. If oil companies have all this power, if they have all this power, why did they invent fracking? Why did they invent fracking that brings down the price of fossil fuels? Why did they invent oil pipelines as opposed to trucking oil and training oil? When in fact that creates efficiencies and brings down the price. Our oil companies? Our business to make a profit. But what's going on now is not because of the oil companies. The oil companies have almost no say in what's taking place now. What's going on now is because of big government. Big centralized government that not only has power over the economy, but power over the law. They're the real robber barons. And for what? And for what? They want to investigate the oil companies. Why? Because they know that'll distract a significant percentage of the population. What happened to the hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that was supposed to go to COVID aid that was spent as part of the trillions of dollars in debt? What happened to the hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that you barely hear about that was stolen, that was given out in grants to people who weren't supposed to get them? What happened to that? 
Where is that money? Will they investigate that? No. Hear this talk about Biden's leadership uniting NATO. He didn't unite anybody. He followed NATO. Look what he's doing in Iran. I'm going to talk about this, Iran and, of course, Russia. This Sunday on my show, we're going to have a big-time special guest. But I'm not free to announce that till tomorrow. Plus, you know, the backbenchers are always there salivating, trying to figure out who to bring on. So we like to have our program somewhat unique and independent, as I think for myself. But that said, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard is a terrorist organization. Trump put them and named them a terrorist organization. They just fired ballistic missiles at our consulate. Many of the men and women that you see on television, Tunnel Towers ads and other ads, the uh, wounded warriors and so forth, who are without limbs and so forth, who've had in some cases, severe uh, head injuries. It's a result of that institution, that terrorist uh, army. And Biden reports are tonight, because he's not being transparent, he won't talk to the American people, he won't even talk to Congress, is considering lifting the terrorist label from the Islamic Guard in order to get them back to negotiating. You believe this, Mr. Producer? It is really unbelievable. Now, let's think ahead, you and I. We think miles ahead. Taiwan. Shouldn't we be arming up Taiwan right now, ladies and gentlemen? They haven't been invaded yet. Shouldn't we be doing that? We don't need to consult NATO. We can talk to the neighborhood, of course. Australia. New Zealand distant neighborhood, nonetheless, Japan, South Korea, and the others, we do have alliances. We have an alliance with Taiwan. Some ambiguity in it, but we understand what's intended. Isn't that the time now to do that? Because people, as I say, always ask me, what would you do? And I did a monologue on that, and I think we posted that, right, Rich? If I were president, what would I do? I laid it out. I'm not president. I can't do anything. But what we can do here is try and push the narrative. Try and push policy. Try and push principle. And I think so far we've been somewhat successful here. Not only on the domestic front over the past year, with the parents and critical race theory and the school boards and much more with American Marxism, but also in the past few months pushing the agenda in dealing with Putin and Russia and support for Ukraine. And this whole idea that Putin gets to decide what the battlefield looks like is insane. He gets to decide what weapons can be used is nuts. Nuts. So while people talk about escalation, we talk about what? Deterrence. That's what peace through strength means. That was what Trump was all about. We talk about deterrence. 
Putin knows and needs to know more that we are extraordinarily powerful in the right hands of the right leader. That's where the weakness is, but nonetheless. I'll be right back. Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. That, of course, the great President Trump. As you know, Zelensky addressed Congress today um, via the Internet. And I want you to hear a little bit of this. Uh, There's a lot more I want to get to, but I want you to hear a little bit of this. Cut one, go. This is a terror that Europe has not seen, has not seen for 80 years, and we are asking for a reply, for an answer uh, to this uh, terror from the whole world. Is this a lot to ask for, to create a no-fly zone zone over Ukraine to save people? Is this too much to ask? Humanitarian no-fly zone, something that Ukraine, uh, that Russia would not be able to terrorize our free cities. If this is too much to ask, we offer an alternative. You know what kind of defense systems we need, S-300 and other similar systems. You know how much depends on the battlefield, on the ability to use aircraft, powerful, strong air uh, aviation to protect our people, our freedom, our land, aircraft that can help Ukraine, help Europe. And you know that they exist and you have them, but they are on Earth, not in in the Ukrainian sky. They do not defend our people. I have a dream. These words are known to each of you today. I can say I have a need. I need to protect uh, our sky. I need your decision, your help, which means exactly the same, the same you feel when you hear the words, I have a dream. Cut to go. Right now, the destiny of our country is being decided. The destiny of our people, whether Ukrainians will be free, whether they will be able to preserve their democracy. Russia has attacked not just us, not just our land, not just our cities. It went on a brutal offensive against our values, basic human values. It threw tanks and planes against our freedom, against our right to live freely in our own country, choosing our own future. Against our desire, for happiness, against our national dreams, just like the same dreams you have, you, Americans. Mm-hmm. And cut three, go. Today it's not enough to be the leader of the nation. Today it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you, and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life 
of his citizens and citizens of the world, for human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently and to die when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else, by your neighbor. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. Mm-hmm. And um, most members of Congress say they were quite taken by this speech. I know it's difficult because of the translation, but it was very moving. And um, it's very strange, this debate over the MiGs. They say they must have them, the Ukrainians, and we say it won't help them. Now, who are we to believe? Well, we believe them. I mean, I can tell you now, if a country's invaded, you're going to want a larger air force. And also, uh, we're going to be transferring Soviet-era anti-aircraft missile systems to Ukraine uh, to help them take out these jets. I just wish a lot of this had been done earlier, all the lives that could have been saved. Joe Biden was asked at the White House today about the MiGs. Cut six, Mr. Producer. Six. Go. So he's not going to comment on it right now. Um, Biden's walking through the crowd of people. He asks if he's asked by Jackie Heinrich, who's actually quite a good reporter at Fox. Uh, and he's asked, is Biden a war criminal? Listen carefully. Cut seven, go. Mr. President, after everything we've seen, are you ready to call Putin a war criminal? No. Oh, I, I, I think he is a war criminal. So first he said no. I think as he walked away, he started to have second thoughts because he knows he is, and he knew how that would come down. He circles back and says to her, you asked me whether I would call, is Putin a war criminal? Oh, I think he is a war criminal. Now, the Russians claim to be offended by this. I say, who cares what offends them? Who cares? Because he is a war criminal. Kevin McCarthy at a press conference today, the Republican leader in the House, cut 10, go. We need to put a stop to this. And I think greater pressure, greater armament, and why the MiGs were not provided weeks ago, as many of us requested, put them at a disadvantage. Is there any scenario where a no-fly zone, the no-fly zone that he requested, would be supported by you and by the United States? Look, I think right now, provide them the MiGs that they can, that they can create a no-fly zone. The entire time, speaking with those in Ukraine and the president himself, he's never asked for American men or women to be 
in a battle. All he's ever asked for is give us the opportunity to defend ourselves. Don't let us fight with sticks. I've had conversations with the president long before this moment came. My advice to him was provide them the armament earlier to deter Putin from ever making this decision. And the entire time, President Biden always said it would be the sanctions after. And then when the sanctions came, he said it'd take months to work. The Ukrainian people cannot wait months. The world cannot wait months and we sit by and watch innocent people being murdered. And then you have people like Senator Jack Reed, who most of you don't know. He's from Rhode Island. He just keeps his seat warm in there, but he does vote hard left all the time. They don't really need MIGs. Cut 11, go. A lot of your colleagues, mostly Republicans, but even many Democrats, say, give him the MIGs. Give Ukraine the MIGs. Take the MIGs, MiG-29, Russian-made fighter jets, Soviet-made jets, that Poland has offered, and give them to Ukraine. Uh, You say that as a distraction because they simply couldn't fly them effectively anyway. Explain. Well, they Now, let's stop there. Why do we need a senator from Rhode Island telling us what the president of Ukraine in Kiev is saying they need? What his military is telling him what they need? Why is it that a senator from Rhode Island has some kind of an authoritative or knowledgeable input on this? It just is shocking to me. Go ahead. Aircraft himself, and they're flying very few sorties. That could be a combination of uh, lack of support, mechanics, fuel, uh, the, the safety of the pilots in the air, the lack of pilots. A much more credible way to provide for air uh, support to the uh, Ukrainian is to provide missile systems, SA-5s, for example. See, obviously he was told in advance that's what the Biden administration is going to do. They're going to provide them with these old Soviet-era American air defense systems, which I'm all for. I'm all for. But it's not one or the other. It's not black and white. It's a defense system. And so you put them on the ground... You wait for jets to fly above or helicopters to fly above and you try and shoot them down or you defend a town or a city with them. They want MiGs to pursue enemy aircraft. They want MiGs to move quickly across their own country to attack the enemy and infantry and so forth. So it's preposterous to wonder why they would want MiGs. It's idiotic to wonder why they would want MiGs. It's obvious why they want MiGs. And it's also obvious why they can't fly them all at once. We can't fly all of our F-16s at once either. It's not possible. Go ahead. ...systems that many of our allies have, and also the Ukrainians have some familiarity with these systems because they've used them themselves. All right. So that's an excuse. That's not an answer. There's a reporter by the name of John Deedon, Mr. Producer. Decker. John Decker. With something called Gray Television. I don't know if it's left, right, in between, or what it is. Doesn't much matter. But he's challenging Jen Psaki at the White House briefing today. Cut 12. Go. You put out a list of all of the military yeah. equipment included in that $400 million, $800 million yeah. that's being provided to Ukraine. Among those items, let me read them to you. 100 grenade launchers, 5,000 rifles, 1,000 pistols, 400 machine guns, and 400 shotguns. 
Are you saying those items are not offensive weapons? They're weapons that help the Ukrainian people fight against an invasion by a foreign country. They can be used offensively, can they not? Again, they're weapons. What I'm talking about is weapons that can be yes. used to the, fight. The answer is yes. I mean, although you don't want to say it, that answer to that question is yes. And so, obviously, you're trying to make this distinction between offensive Well, what we're talking about, let me weapons. finish, let me finish. Well, let me we're finish. Let me finish, my, let me finish my answer. No, you are, no, I was finishing a point, and then you can respond to my Okay, answer. go ahead. All right, you're making this distinction between offensive and defensive weapons. Anybody that looks at that list of weapons that I just mentioned, they would say, clearly they're offensive. If a Ukrainian military officer or someone who is enlisted has one of these weapons, they can take out a Russian military official of some sort with these weapons. They're offensive in nature. So why not provide more offensive weapons like this to the Ukrainian military? Well, first of all, we are providing a range of rifles, etc. There is a difference between a plane and planes and massive military systems, I think anybody would recognize this, uh, and what we're talking about, which is giving rifles and pistols to many of them farmers and people living in countrysides to defend themselves. I think there's a difference that most people recognize. Thank you, everyone, so much. Have a nice day. I will get to you tomorrow. I'm sorry. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know where this guy's coming from. Doesn't much matter, his ideology to me. But in the end, as she's trying to defend their position, she actually makes an important point against their position. Pistols, ammo, rifles, people in the countryside to defend themselves. I mean, seriously, folks. That should be a no-brainer. But we're not talking about that. We're trying to prevent the Russians from getting to these places before they do. And do the kind of slaughter that they're doing. And so you need an array of weaponry. That's what we have. That's what other countries have. An array of weaponry. And that includes jet fighters. I mean, it sounds like the Billy Mitchell days. Where Billy Mitchell was demoted because he insisted a hundred years or so ago that the future were, was airplanes and military fighting. And he had to fight for his position. And he was attacked by the old guard. And his career suffered as a result. And he turned out, as surely in part, to be exactly right. Why do we spend a lot of money on jet fighters? Hmm? Because we have uh, we have defensive systems. Why do we spend a lot of money on jet fighters? I mean, we have jet fighters. Obviously, we have javelins. We created them. We invented them. We have stinger missiles. We created them and invented them too. So one set of military armaments do not replace another. It's because Biden put the kibosh on it. And when you go out there and put the kibosh on something and then you say it'll start World War III, you box yourself into a corner. I wish they would stop saying this will start World War III, that will stop World War III, because this is effectively allowing Putin to do, define the battlefield. You don't talk like that. Certainly not in a time of war. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
So let me be the first to ask this question, which means it'll be repeated. But that's okay. We put our marker here all the time. But it's an important question I want to ask you. Donald Trump, the first time around, was impeached based on a fraudulent setup. A transcript of a call he had with President Zelensky that was perfectly legitimate and perfectly fine. And on the face of that transcript, there were no threats. There were no demands you investigate Biden or I'm going to withhold military aid. In fact, he didn't withhold military aid. He gave the Ukraine more military aid, offensive military aid, including those javelins. Then Obama did. Obama sent them basically food rations and blankets. People are standing up and applauding Zelensky. He's a hero. He's a courageous man. He's a truth teller. He'll be remembered for a thousand years. So when President Zelensky of Ukraine said in that phone call that Donald Trump never threatened him, he didn't feel that he was ever threatened. He didn't feel there was some quid pro quo. He should have been believed back then, too. He should have been believed back then, as should our president, Donald Trump. An absolute phony attempt to take out Trump. Zelensky said, no, no, there was no quid pro quo. You know, it's interesting to me, and I do not want this to be etched as part of my epithet, Mr. Producer. In the last 24, 48 or so hours, the media have done a pretty good job of covering this war. I'm not talking about the fraudulent journalists who basically are opinion makers dressed up as news people. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is the White House press corps has done a pretty good job of questioning Pisaki. And I want to, to encourage them to keep it up. Now, I know they won't, particularly as the election gets closer. I know they won't, particularly if Donald Trump decides to run for president. So I don't want to be, oh, Mark says to me. No, no, I wrote a whole book on this. I know what I think, and I, I say what I think. But if you look at the last 24 to 48 hours, what I'm saying is they've done a pretty decent job of pressing Pasaki. It's not that I'm sitting here watching the entire press conference, but pieces of it. They've done a pretty good job. I just wish they would remain that way throughout, but they won't. You go right to inflation, you go right to food prices and everything else, and most of them, not all of them, I have to say that, regurgitate the party line. The big oil. But, you know, if you give them just a little salute from time to time when they actually conduct themselves in a way that deserves some credit, maybe they'll appreciate that. I think that's what's happened with Bill Maher, who feels, I think, freer now than ever to question the, uh, the, the, the I mean, the intelligence and the positions and the viewpoints and the agenda of the woke left. But I don't exist to pat people on the head like that. I'm just saying it's an observation of mine that this last press conference and the one before were pretty tough on Pasaki. 
I'm glad about that. And when you get again to domestic affairs, it's it's a different ball game. When you actually have an election going on, of course, they're 100% behind their man or woman and against our man or woman. Got that. Zelensky says in an interview with MSLSD, excuse me, that's wrong, NBC, he says that um, with Lester Holt, World War III may have already started. As you know, I've said World War III has already started. The question is whether it can be contained, and it can be contained, if we're smart about it. We're not smart enough about it. We're about 35% or so, if I have to give a number, smart about it. China's watching every aspect of this. Should Russia lose in Ukraine, which would be the best result? You even have people say, well, if Putin loses, then what? What are we going to do then? I mean, excuse me? If Russia loses, even broadly defined, if Russia loses, you think China will be thinking about that, Mr. Producer? Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Who do you think Taiwan's rooting for? Who do you think the NATO countries are rooting for? Who do you think the Arab Gulf states are rooting for, Israel's rooting for, even if they don't speak out about it? Yeah, I think they... uh, I think it's quite understandable, because if Russia is defeated or stalemated or something to that effect, uh, that sends a signal all over the world. That's why I call these Ukrainians freedom fighters. They are literally freedom fighters. As far as I'm concerned. Freedom fighters. And we want them to defeat the Russians. And from a humanitarian perspective... They need to defeat the Russians in order to defend their people. Their people are being slaughtered. What is our national security interest? There's so many interests, it's, it's hard to know where to begin. As I've explained from day one, if this bleeds into NATO, we have an obligation to help defend our NATO countries. So if it spreads to NATO, you could in fact have a world war. Not just a world war in name, but an uncontained world war. No question about it. And then you could have a world war on multiple fronts, as you did during World War II. Multiple fronts. Where the axis of evil, whether it's Iran, whether it's communist China, whether it's fascistic Russia, are all moving on all fronts. And we are not prepared for that. We've not built up our military enough. We've not spent enough money. Psychologically, we're not prepared for that. There was a poll that came out the other day I meant to get to, where it said 38% of the people in the United States would not defend the United States if it was attacked. They would leave. Did you see that, Mr. Producer? They would flee. Many of whom, by the way, were Democrats. Why don't they just flee now? Wouldn't that help us? Just flee now. So it's my contention, World War III has begun. 
The question is whether we can contain it, and we can, if we do the right things, and we have to do the right things in order to contain it. But I think it has begun. Um, I do not believe we send troops into Ukraine. I do not believe that we are directly involved in a no-fly zone. I do believe we send these people the MiGs that they want. There's really no discernible distinction between what the MiGs do and some of these others from a rational perspective. Although from a military perspective, they're necessary for a lot of reasons. They provide more options for the Ukrainians. And they can actually take the war to the Russians rather than shoot missiles out of the sky, which is important, rather than arm up the population for an insurrection, which is important. You can go on the offensive. I actually heard one commentator say this is an insurrection. In other words, the Ukrainian people are already involved in an insurrection. They're involved in an insurrection in their own country? That terminology is bizarre. I said prepare for an insurrection if necessary. But they're not involved in an insurrection right now. It's their country. They're freedom fighters, not insurrectionists. They're defending their cities. They're defending their families. They're defending their homes. That's why this is important. And it is important. It's important. You see how important it is now to have allies, like our allies in Europe? You see how important it is? It's important not just for commercial purposes, although that's important, but for military purposes. It's important. We need their support just as they need our support. That's why you have allies. That's why you have bases overseas. So you can, you can, you can forward position troops. You can forward position armaments and so forth. So you don't have to lose American lives trying to claw back territory. But you already have a base or so there. And we don't use those for imperialistic or colonialistic purposes. That's what the left says. But that's not us. The United States, according to Daily Mail, is deploying thousands of troops in the northern territory of Australia. After Australia admitted war with China is, in fact, possible. Because China's been threatening Australia now for about 18 months, just so you know. A former top CIA operative says it's too late for the United States to prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons without military action. They're too far along. They've progressed too far. This is what's going on in the world, which is incredible. We're talking about nuclear weapons all over the place here. There was a piece in the Gatestone Institute International Policy Council website by Khalid Abu Tomeh. And it's really quite... uh, compelling. It says, in a message directed at the Biden administration and the other Western powers involved in the Vienna negotiations, this is with Iran, led by Russia on our behalf, 
The Arab countries said that Iran and its terrorist militias are continuing to create chaos and instability, especially in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, and Lebanon. The Arabs, including the Arab League, are telling the Biden administration that in their view, it is not only Iran that threatens their security, but also its terrorist proxies, including Hamas, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, and the Houthis in Yemen. The Arabs are clearly worried about the financial and military aid that Iran is providing to the terrorist groups. Any deal with Iran will further strengthen these groups and encourage them to step up their terrorist attacks. The Arabs are also worried that when Iran obtains nuclear weapons, they will sooner or later find their way into the hands of terrorist proxies and other terrorist groups, including the Islamic State, that's ISIS, and Al-Qaeda. The president, that is Biden, is deaf. He cannot be trusted. Ali al-Saraf, Iraqi political analyst, said. If the Biden administration and its friends reach a new deal with Iran's mullahs, we are likely to see more Arabs come out against the United States. We made it very clear that if Iran acquires a nuclear capability, we will do everything we can to do the same. This is the Saudi Minister of Foreign Affairs, Adel al-Jubir, to CNN a few years back. The Arabs consider Iran a lethal threat to their national security and the stability of the entire Middle East and other parts of the world. If the Biden administration is going to align itself with the mullahs, it will lose the support of the Arab and Muslim allies who feel bitterly betrayed and fear that nuclear weapons will end up in the hands of these very mullahs and their terrorist groups. So you see, it's not just Israel, although Israel is quite concerned, extremely gravely concerned. What appears to be an 11th hour and desperate warning to the Biden administration against striking a deal with the Iranian regime. Four Arab countries have expressed deep concern over Iran's ballistic missile program and ongoing support for terrorism. In a statement issued in Cairo on March 9, you haven't heard this, have you, America? The Arab Quartet Committee, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Egypt said that Iran continues to interfere in the internal affairs of Arab countries and play a role in sowing sectarian discord among them by supporting and arming terrorist groups such as the Houthis and Hezbollah militias. The statement was issued amid growing concern in some Arab countries that the United States and other Western powers could reach a deal with Iran to revive the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the Iran nuclear deal. Do you realize in so many ways how peaceful the world was when Trump was president? Now, obviously, there were wars and things, but nothing like this. Nothing like this. And so you would think when Chuck Todd on Sunday chooses to do an attack on Trump, he he should instead show the successes of the Trump foreign policy and national security decisions and go ahead and compare them with Biden. But instead, he brings in these reprobates because he happens to be one himself. Iran poses a threat to the security of Arab states and impedes regional and international efforts to resolve issues and crises in the region through peaceful means, the committee said, the committee of four. Remember what was going on there when Trump was president. The Abraham Accords, peace breaking out everywhere, and the Iranian economy was dying, as was their missile program.
While the Arab countries above, which have long been considered close allies of the U.S., stress the importance of supporting efforts to prevent Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons at the Vienna negotiations, they said any deal reached with Tehran could be seen as a temporary and not final agreement. That's ridiculous. Reflecting the Arabs' distrust of Iran, the Arab countries emphasize the need for strengthening the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, their monitoring role over the Iranian nuclear program, and a message directed to the Biden administration and other Western powers involved in the Vienna negotiations. The Arab countries said that Iran and its terrorist militias are continuing to create chaos and instability, especially in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, and Lebanon. The Arabs are clearly worried about the financial military aid that Iran is providing to these groups. All right. I've pretty much covered this. Uh, Hussein al-Sufi, a Yemeni researcher and head of the Al-Badiyah Center for Studies and Media, is another prominent Arab who has added his voice to those who are warning warning the world about the dangers of appeasing the mullahs in Tehran or placing any confidence in them. And it goes on and on and on. I'm telling you, this administration and this president are disasters. Complete and other disasters. Can you imagine the Iranians with nuclear weapons? Can you imagine their proxies with nuclear weapons? I mean, you see how Biden handled and what they did. You see what he what he did in Afghanistan. It's a disaster now with 9,000 American citizens there. He failed to help arm up the Ukrainians in advance. He's not arming up the Taiwanese in advance. He is bending over backwards, really selling out to the Iranian regime which is one of the reasons why he was so slow to cut off Russian oil, such as it is. It's like every stupid decision there is, is being made by by Biden. And it's what I told you before. If you wanted to put the United States on the knife edge of a world war, not just in name, because I think one is now transpiring, we need to contain it, but in military terms, You would do everything that Biden has done up to this point. If you wanted to destroy the American uh, economy, you would do everything that Biden has done. If you wanted to destroy the nature of citizenship and law and order in this country, you'd have open borders and do everything that Biden has done. You know, uh, I got to deal with another argument that I hear out there. We dealt with it when it came to the border. It seems to have disappeared when people say, we don't even protect our own border. Here we're worried about Ukraine's border. Now think about that argument, how stupid that is. So you and I who want our southern border protected and also know that Russia is the enemy, we're supposed to say, okay, forget it because our border's not protected? And so if we 
if we don't support our Ukrainian allies, will our border be protected? No. That's like saying we have this massive debt, thanks to this administration and this Congress, which we do, and repubes. So we need to focus on that. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm one of the few people on radio who's ever focused on this. So before the Russians invaded Ukraine, were we focused on this? Were we doing something about it? No. We were spending money like drunken Marxists. So this is an irrational argument. It's not based on any substance. We've got all these problems at home. Why are we focused on Ukraine? Well, when we focus on all these problems at home, what happens? Until we change over the Congress, and then in the following election, take back the presidency with a real conservative, these issues are not going to go away. We've talked about them since we're blue in the face. Before the Russians invaded Ukraine. So these are nonsensical arguments. Nonsensical arguments. We Americans can walk and chew gum at the same time. The fact that the media is myopic, we've dealt with that too. But that's not us. Is the border going to be secured now? Was it secured before the Russians invaded Ukraine? No. Were the Democrats going to cut out the spending? No, they wouldn't cut it out before Ukraine was invaded, and we had 19 repubes vote with them in the Senate. And I can go down the list. Are they going to honor the Constitution? Are they going to leave our voting system alone? Are they going to... Did they do that before Russia invaded Ukraine? No. So what makes everybody think, we got to focus on these issues? First of all, we are. But secondly... It's not going to change anything until we own the government. And the issue is when we do, what will happen then? What will happen then? What? Jesse Smollett, court orders Jesse Smollett released from jail during appeal. So he's released from jail during appeal. So this is what we're going to focus on now, right? We focus on, not you and me, but the we, meaning the media and the culture. Crap. Lots and lots of crap all the time. So the idea that Ukraine is somehow muddling our thinking when it comes to domestic matters is so preposterous. It's absurd. Okay. I'm focused on the debt. Now what? Okay, I'm focused on the border. Now what? We've been, you and me. We've been. And we are. But it doesn't change a damn thing till we have power. Just thought I needed to address that. I think Sean Hannity, by the way, has done a fantastic job on Fox on the war coverage with the guests that he has I'm invited on a lot of these programs I just can't do them all in fact I can't do most of them I've got my Blaze TV I've got my own Sunday show I've got my radio show I've got 
research I'm doing for something I can't get into right now. I just can't keep popping up all the time on TV. I can do it when I can now and then. But I feel I have an obligation to you who come to this radio show. Whether you listen on the radio or you listen online on your app, whether you listen on satellite, however you listen, streaming or the podcast. You're the ones I have the number one obligation to. The people who who take the time to subscribe to Levin TV on the Blaze TV network, you're the ones I have the number one obligation for. And of course, for my Sunday show, the preparation for that show, you're the ones I have my number one obligation for. These platforms that I'm honored to, to have. Things may change in the following year, two or three. You know, thinking about my career and other things I might want to do and other ways I want to do it. I just want complete 100% independence. 80% is not good enough. At least that's my view. Nancy Pelosi at a press conference just the other day. Somehow we missed this, but we're going to circle back. Here she is. We want to salute our friends at Twitchy. This is a great site, too, Twitchy, if you haven't been there. Cut eight, go. But they know that we can't go there. Uh, Putin is trying to bait the trap so that uh, we go in, and that's the beginning, could be the beginning of World War III. Uh, Putin, totally irresponsible, using weapons that are not allowed under the Geneva Convention. Putin, who uh, threatens use of chemical weapons, um, nuclear, and the rest. So they know that we can't, but it's the ask. Now, he was, uh, this morning, uh, more... Let's if we can't have an if we can't have a no fly zone, let us have our own and we need the airplanes to come in. That is Nancy Pelosi doing her best imitation of Al Sharpton, I think. But it gets better. Cut nine. Go. This morning he was less on the on the ask for the um, uh, the policy more on let us do it help us get the planes, but also there is a school of thought that thinks the anti-aircraft missiles and the rest are a very important way. Myself, when I see that, that those tanks, that 40 miles of tanks, I'd like to take out those tanks. I mean, I, I think that air, uh, them having more planes might be useful, but that I'm not a, a military st- strategist. We hope that we will be able to get up to a place, I hope, you ask me how, I, I hope that we can get to a place where the uh, MiGs, which are the kinds of planes they've been trained on, can go to Ukraine, the F-16s, especially if we have an excess of them, uh, can backfill for Poland. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'll interpret. She wants them to have the MiGs. But she's not a military strategist. And then the F-16s can backfill the MiGs. This was the official position of the Democrat Party about two weeks ago. Then Biden put the kibosh on it. Now the official position is you don't need MiGs. The Joint Chiefs falls right in line. Joint Chiefs of Staff Chief, the head of the Joints, is uh, Millie. 
Millie said Kiev would fall in three days. Has Millie ever been right about anything? Then you have Austin. I don't know if he's Millie Stooge or the other way around. You never hear from Austin. Have you noticed that? He's the Secretary of Defense, if you didn't know. Apparently, he has nothing to say. I don't know where Kamala Harris is today. No matter. She probably doesn't know where she is today either, so it doesn't matter. Now, Jennifer Granholm is the Secretary of Energy. And I don't think we could have a better Secretary of Energy, do you? No, she's fantastic. And she's got an idea. She's got an idea on how to handle the energy crisis right now. Cut 14, go. As you can imagine and as you have heard, there is a lot of conversation that is happening right now in, in saying that this crisis in, uh, in Europe and the crisis our allies are facing and the reduction of supply of uh, natural gas and oil from Russia creates a moment that we should be acting. I mean, we heard President Zelensky. We do not want to see uh, any country that is held hostage to Vladimir Putin. And this is a moment for Congress to be able to act. There can be a compromise. There can be movement on this. Um, and whether it's, you know, I mean, what the form is and who sponsors are and all of that, that's, a, that's an, a conversation that's happening. But the bottom line is this is a moment to have this happen. It's an urgent moment. She's talking about transitioning from fossil fuels to propeller hats or battery-heated socks or something. None of them have any idea to get from a to how to get from A to B. None. The technology doesn't exist. Some people who believe they have technology, they can't get the materiel. The costs are prohibitive. That's not how you create things. That's not how you invent things by government mandate. How many great things have been created by government mandate? Not the automobile, not the airplane, not electricity, not natural gas. And I might say, when it comes to Congress, there is a lot of that. Natural gas, if we could just figure out how to bottle it, uh, come to think of it, maybe not, Mr. Producer. It's an amazing thing to hear the discussions we have, all the excuses. They're nonsensical for not supporting our lives. Well, you want to send your kids there? I don't want to send anybody's kids there. And nobody's suggesting that. You want to get us into World War III? No, I don't want to get us into World War III. And nothing I suggest will get us into World War III. Well, um... Our border's open. Why don't we focus on our border rather than somebody else's border? Well, shouldn't we focus on both borders? And we've been focusing on our border, and little damn good it's done until we throw these bums out. Well, there's an awful lot for us to tackle. Look how fast they move on Ukraine. What about us? I heard this one last night. Well, what about us? We're focusing on these things, whether it's our kids' education, critical race theory, you know, defending capitalism and all the rest. These arguments are nonsensical. We need to organize, bottom up, middle out, as Biden says. We're doing that. 
We need to leave no conservative behind. We're not. But on the other hand, we do have a United States military. We have red-blooded Americans who are in that military. We do have alliances. We do have allies. There are domino effects that happen. China's watching what's happening to Russia. Iran is moving at warp speed to get nuclear weapons. Is that when we look at Iran? After they've gotten nuclear weapons and they're aiming their ICBMs at our cities? That's too late. That is too late. Then what are we going to do? So you want to you be steps ahead. It's like with Taiwan. What are we going to do when and if China invades Taiwan? Should we do something now to help them? So yes, we look at our border. We look at our debt. We look at everything that's going on in America. And we don't ignore foreign policy. We don't ignore domestic policy. We have two sides of our brain. We also have a front and back. They all function perfectly fine. And we apply our principles to all of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to help me decipher something. I want you to help me decipher something. Joe Biden at the White House today, it's number 19, Mr. Producer, on the Reauthorization of Violence Against Women Act. I want you to listen to this, seriously. And hat tip to Rumble, cut 19, go. So we established a new civil rights, a new civil rights cause of action for those whose intimate images were shared on the public screen. How many times have you heard? I bet everybody knows somebody somewhere along the line that in an intimate relationship, what happened was the guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position. And then literally, in a sense, blackmails or, or, or mortifies that person. Send it out. Put it online. You know, Mr. Bruce, I must live a very cloistered life. I'm, I must live a, a very protected life. I don't know anybody who's done this. Do you? You don't either? Mr. Call Screener, does he know anybody? You don't either. That's three of us. It's, what, what is it with the Democrat? Is this, I mean, I don't know who Biden knows. He knows Biden. And Tara Reid never got her day in court, that's for sure. And by the way, folks, just so you know, you say, Mark Levin, why didn't you have Tara Reid on? We asked her. Remember, Mr. Producer? We never heard back. Because, you know, for her to come on me might taint her credibility, of course. So... Reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act... And it now includes the use of naked pictures. Do women ever take pictures of naked men and threaten them? I have to assume that happens from time to time. But again, I live in a cloistered world. I, I, no pictures as far as my life goes. I can't speak for everyone else. Why do you need pictures, Mr. Producer? Perverts, right. Why do you need a picture of... I, I don't understand it. Quite frankly. So you need, uh, I bet everybody knows. Now he knows somebody, his son Hunter, right? 
son Hunter's taking videotape. And uh, I wonder if that's covered by the Violence Against Women Act. So there we are for those who say we need to focus on domestic affairs and not just Ukraine. They did, apparently. And they also froze the time. Uh, daylight savings. So now we have that too. So they're very, very busy. Uh, and they want to spend hundreds of billions more on COVID. Did you hear that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're not deporting illegal aliens who come from virtually any country. So um, I'm focused on domestic affairs. I don't like what I'm saying. So I guess I shouldn't be looking at Ukraine because, you know, I'll get a headache. But I want to play this one more time, not to be provocative, but this is your president. And all of you must know somebody who's taken pictures of somebody who was naked and posted them online in a compromising position. I don't know. Cut 19, go. So we established a new civil rights, a new civil rights cause of action for those whose intimate images were shared on the public screen. How many times have you heard? I'll bet everybody knows somebody somewhere Now, we do know of some people who have posted their own intimate images online, right, Mr. Producer? So do they have a cause of action against themselves? Or are they the victim, or are they the perp and the pervert? Which are they? Can they be both parties? I'm just curious. The famous case where Breitbart brought up that. You remember all that stuff? Go ahead. That in an intimate relationship, what happened was the guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position. And then literally, in a sense, blackmails or, or, or mortifies. Can I be honest with you folks? If I were president of the United States, I'd be embarrassed to even get into all this stuff. Of all the things you have to talk about. Of all the things going on. Would you bring this up? If it's in the bill, it's in the bill. But would you bring this up? No, I don't think so. Ah, boy. Okay, we're focused on domestic issues. There you go. That, that, that'll fix stuff. Um, the victims, what's the title of the bill again? The Violence Against Women Act. Now, speaking about violence against women, did you see the guy beat the crap out of the, uh, the Asian woman, Mr. Producer? Did you see that, America? That guy is a repeat offender. Big fat slob. He's a repeat offender. So they pass these laws... They beat their chest. They pat themselves on the back. They want you to know how wonderful they are. So what's going to happen? How come this repeat offender gets out to brutalize an Asian woman? A lot of Asian people are being attacked in these various communities, to be perfectly honest with you, and not just Asian women. Just like a lot of Orthodox Jews are being attacked in certain communities, but we're not allowed to talk about that either, are we? And I don't see a hell of a lot being done about it. In fact, I don't see anything being done about it. These people have uh, 
the repeat offenders. We're going to have a great guest in a few minutes, but I wanted to get to one other thing. This was a piece I saw in the Wall Street Journal. A strike on Moscow's forces in Kherson destroyed helicopters as the Russian bombing continued and Zelensky asked Congress for more weapons. What is this? Ukraine is mounting counteroffensives where it can in various cities, including outside Kiev. Ukraine and its military launched a counteroffensive on its capital, Kiev, and other key cities as President Zelensky urged the U.S. Congress to provide more weapons and increase economic pressure on Russia. So when you're doing a counteroffensive, those MiGs can come in very, very handy. And I'll tell you something else. It would demoralize the Russian troops. They'd be looking over their shoulders constantly. It's just another tool you have to wreak havoc on the enemy. Ukrainian forces also said they pressed an offensive south and east of the southern border, excuse me, the southern port town of Mayokalev, moving in the direction of Kyrgyzstan, the only Ukrainian regional capital occupied by Russia since the war began on February 24. Ukraine said it carried out an airstrike on the Kherson airport, which is now a Russian airbase, and satellite imagery of the tarmac showed seven destroyed or damaged Russian helicopters, some of them engulfed in flames. Kiev also said it shot down two Russian Su-30SM jets over the Black Sea off Odessa. Now imagine what they could have done if they have had weapons sooner and had MiGs. Imagine. But I'm just a white dominant supremacist interventionist neocon who wants us to go to World War III, Mr. Producer. That's all. Mark Lovin.